ask you to turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark again. The Gospel of Mark. We continue our study in Mark this morning. I've entitled the message, What Are You Following After? What Are You Following After? Mark chapter number 8. I will mention as you're turning, I, Katie, it's a blessing to have Katie, um, the kids back with us. Alan's working. Katie uh, traveled out to Can- Missouri again, and her, she lost her grandmother here recently. She had just gotten home for a two-week stay out there with family, and just to get home and find out that grandmother passed, and so she turned right around with the children and went back out there. You pray for her, and I appreciate her faithfulness in being here this morning, as well as yours also. Mark chapter number 8, and we'll read the passage. Let's read verse number 34, and we'll look at some other verses as we get into the message this morning. And we had called the people unto him with his disciples also. We said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Uh, We continue our study in Mark's gospel on Sunday mornings, looking at the footsteps of Jesus as recorded out of the gospel of Mark. And we took uh, a few weeks away, now I think two weeks on Sunday mornings away in preparation for Easter and the missions conference. We spent a week looking at the cross, spent several messages there. And then last week we concluded our mission conference on Sunday morning. So here we are again, we're looking back in the gospel of Mark, learning From the life of the servant Savior. That's the title of the entire series of messages in Mark. Uh, His name is Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for the fact that he came to save us. And, And you think about the way that he saved us. He came and served us. He did for us what we could not do for ourselves. That's the title. The servant Savior. In Mark chapter number 8, it's been a phenomenal chapter. It begins with miracles. I remind you the miracles of Jesus. It begins with Jesus feeding 5,000 plus there on the hillside, taking very little, and little is much when God is in it. it. Also, we see the miracles of the healing of the blind man at Bethsaida. And then in verses 27 through 23, there are some other things that takes place between there. But in verses 27 through 23, we see the maturing of the disciples. And when Jesus, now he's, he's traveling along, he asks his disciples, Whom do men say that I am? And they answered back to the Lord, and they say, Well, Lord, some say that you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elias, some say you're one of the prophets and Jesus responds to that by asking them specifically but who do you say that I am the test of discipleship the test of literally a litmus test of the direction and what's going on in their hearts and what's going on in their mind they've been traveling with our Lord for this long period of time for over two years now so the question is who do you say that I am and Peter he gets it right Peter answers Lord thou art the Christ the son of the living God what a wonderful answer that is what a truthful answer that is And Peter nails it right on the head. He is the Christ. He is the Son of the living God. He's the Messiah. He's the conquering King that's come to save the world. 
But then Jesus, as he's maturing his disciples, he's teaching them things that will come. He, he begins to teach them that the Son of Man, the one that Peter just recognized and confessed, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, this very same one, Jesus Christ, he begins to tell them that he must suffer many things and be rejected. Be rejected of the elders. Certainly they would not reject the Messiah, but they did. He'd be rejected of the chief priests. He'd be rejected of the scribes and be killed. And after that, rise again. After three days, rise again. They, they got all the first part. They heard all the rejection. They heard about the killing. Uh, but they missed the coming again, rising again. And Peter, after hearing this from the Lord... We dealt with this on a number of occasions that Peter hearing this from the Lord. Can you imagine this? He begins to rebuke Jesus. <laughs> the one that he just said, Lord, you are God. You are the King. You are the Son of God. You are Messiah. Thou art the Christ. Peter now, he rebukes Jesus for saying that he soon will die. Peter had confessed Jesus as the conquering king, but in his mind, in the mind of the disciples up to this point, they thought that the conquering that Jesus would do would be over Rome. They thought that Jesus would set up a Jewish uh, nation and reestablish the nation. He would sit upon the throne and, 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 and all the Roman rule would be done away with. That was their thinking and he would put down Caesar and he would as Christ would rule and reign here on earth at that point in time. But Jesus, He came not this time in the passages, in the Gospels. When He came, He came not this time to necessarily conquer Rome, although it did fall and He is conquering King. He did not come to simply to conquer Rome, but He came to conquer this time. He came to conquer Satan. He came to conquer sin. He came to conquer the grave. He came to pay the penalty for your sin and for my sin. That's why He came. He came to seek and to save the lost. And every single one of us before Christ could lift our hands and say, He came looking for me. And praise God that He did so. The words of Jesus to Peter, the fact that he would die, this, these must have stunned uh, the disciples. But the, the words that Jesus now turns after Peter begins to rebuke our Lord, the words of Jesus to Peter, again, must have stunned him even further. As well as the other disciples. Because he says in verse number 31, as he began to teach them, in verse number 33, rather, and he turned and looked at his disciples and he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. Can you imagine being a follower of Jesus Christ and, and having Jesus turn to you and look you square in the face and say to you, Get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> Lord, we've given everything to follow after you. What a rebuke this was, and, and what a rebuke publicly it would have been to Peter. Again, he must have been stunned by this news, by these words from our Lord. The things of men, he says, 
you savor not the things of God, but you savor the things of men. The things of men, the things that, that these men, that Peter was thinking about, are the things that satisfy our selfishness. The things of men are those things that satisfy our own earthly desires. But the things of God that Jesus was going towards the cross for, the things that God and the things that He was conveying to them were the things that Jesus has come to save mankind from His sin. You see... The things of the world says, give me what the world can give me and give me all that the world can provide for me. Well, the things of God says, let me give to the Lord what He's given first to me. And God has been so gracious with regards to this. And in verses 34 through 38, we now come to a message. We begin with miracles. We begin with the maturing of the disciples. And Jesus finishes up Mark chapter number 8, with a message from the Lord. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I can probably see it on your faces. How many of you like short messages? I won't even look at that. Mark records a 112-word, four-verse message from our Lord. It may be short in length, but... I think very well may be one of the most powerful messages that Jesus ever delivered. One of the most powerful messages that Jesus ever delivered. In verse number 34, Jesus picks up again the subject of the cross that he introduced back in verse number 31. When he says, I'm going to to go to a cross, and I'm going to die. In verse number 31, he's talking about his cross, the one that he would give his life upon to save lost mankind. And now in verse number 34, he's talking about the cross of all those would be followers who would come after him and be a disciple. The one he's dealing with his cross that he would die upon. In this case, he's dealing with the cross that he's called all disciples, all born-again believers in Christ to pick up and to follow him with. The first cross that Jesus mentions out of verse number 34 would be a Christ cross that he would die upon literally. The cross out of verse number 34, Jesus is saying, I expect my followers not necessarily to die upon, but to live upon. All the difference in the world. Not necessarily to die upon, but to live upon as disciples. Duncan Campbell said, The cross that called Jesus to a sacrificial death now calls his disciples to a sacrificial life. Jim Elliott, that missionary who we know his life so very well, he went into the, to reach the unreachable into those villages and those Aka Indians and he gave his life and he made the statement he is no fool to give what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. Certainly he understood this cross bearing of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And he made that statement not knowing that he would actually in fact die on that beach 
But he made this statement saying, Lord, whatever you want in my life, I'm willing to go through it as long as you go with me. And that's the cross, that's the following after that's so important. We read verses 34 through and following. And again, I just want to read verse 34 as we begin our text this morning to get it into our hearing and our mind once again. When he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I want to. Just make four observations out of these verses this morning. Out of particularly verse number 34. First observation is a delivered invitation. Secondly, a determined direction. Thirdly, a deliberate renunciation. And fourthly, a direct result. First of all, notice out of verse number 34, a delivered invitation. And he, when he had called the people, he says unto him, with his disciples. Here's a direct invitation from our Lord. He said to them, whosoever will. Boy, I like the word whosoever in our Bibles. I hope that you, every time you come across it in your King James Bible, you write down, you underline that, whosoever, whosoever. Why is it such a tremendous word? Because it includes me and it includes you. It did not say for some people and not for others, but it includes all of us, whosoever. And I want you to note that Jesus, he calls the people to him. Uh, Some would say, well, he's calling the disciples and he's calling those who he has specifically set apart for the ministry, the preachers, the missionaries, uh, these, uh, these folks like this. The, the, uh, the folks that, that are in full-time vocational ministry, so to speak. No, Jesus calls all the people. So this passage, Jesus is dealing with everybody. It's not just a few, it's everybody. It's the whosoever. The invitation that Jesus gives is to every single individual. It's an open invitation to every man, woman, boy and girl upon planet earth. Uh, You know what we had a missions conference about? You know what all that was about? Going around the world and continuing the invitation. Jesus said, if you come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Jesus said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It was an invitation that Jesus gave on that day. It's an invitation that's still open in our day. Whosoever includes me and includes you. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Suffer little children, and forbid them not to come unto me. That's one reason why that we're starting our young people's Sunday school classes. And I think it's such an important thing to be doing. To invite these young people to come to know Christ at a young age. To influence them with the things of God. Listen, the world is influencing them. Society is pouring its trash into their lives. Uh, Let's pour truth into their lives. Let's teach them the Bible. Let's raise them up to to know the Lord and to serve the Lord. Uh, Have your children in church. Have your children under the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. Suffer little children and forbid them not to come unto me. Again, an open invitation. Come unto me and I will make you fishers of men. 
Again, an open invitation. Revelation 22 and 17. And the Spirit and the bride say, come. The Holy Spirit is giving an invitation. Come and be saved. The bride, which is the church, is an invitation. It says, come in. Hear the gospel. Uh, be saved. Send missionaries. Send preachers. Send young people. To tell people how to be saved. The Spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. When you hear it and you trust Jesus Christ, go tell somebody else, come. And let him that is a thirst, the weary, the hurting, the sin-sick individual, let him that is a thirst spiritually come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Whosoever is a great word in your Bibles. Whosoever is used three times out of this four-verse message from our Lord. It's found in verse number 34. It's found in verse number 35. And it's found again in verse number 38. Now, we typically end our messages with an invitation. Sometimes I think maybe we ought to do it the other way around. I think if we just started our church service with an invitation and let everybody get right with God, maybe our church services would be a little bit more enjoyable, lively, more worshipful. Uh, you get sin out of the way so we can worship the Lord. And, but typically, when we have a message, we give an invitation to respond to the message at the end. But Jesus, He does it right. Uh, he gives an invitation right up front. Jesus opens his message with an invitation. And let me say, that invitation, as I mentioned earlier, is still ongoing today. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus does not force anyone, but he welcomes everyone. And I'm so thankful about that. We see a delivered invitation, number two. Not only do we see a delivered invitation, but we see a determined direction. Whosoever, he says out of verse number 34, whosoever will come after me. Here's an invitation. What's the invitation to? A determined direction. What's that direction? Come after me. There is a determined direction. Come after me. The idea of coming after Christ is to pursue Christ. To follow him. That's what he says. Uh, that really, that's his, that's his very words out of verse number 34 at the end of the verse. Follow me. To follow him, to pursue him, to come after him is to be on the same road as he is traveling. To be going the same direction. To be living the same way of life as he is living. To accompany him. To be in union with him. Let me ask you a question this morning. What is it that you are pursuing most in your life? What is it that we pursue most in our lives? I, I, I think maybe just a, a quick glance at our schedules. Our calendars. Uh, the way in which we prioritize our time will... We'll, Tell us a lot about our direction, uh, what we follow after, or who we follow after, what we pursue the most. You see, to come after, 
to follow Christ, to come after Christ, is a direction that must be determined by you. It's a direction that must be determined by you. Whosoever will come after me. What are we pursuing in life on a regular basis? Are we following after Christ? Listen, I know very, very well. And I I do understand very, very well that life is busy. Would you say amen to that? Life is busy. They gave us these cell phones and tried to convince us if you'll get a cell phone and and get one of these devices that will help you life. Boy, it will just make you put everything in priority and life will be so easy. And you need a new one every year, by the way, that you can't afford so you can keep it easy. What a lie. What a lie. Life is busy. It didn't make it any easier. It just allowed us to cram more in the same time that we had before. And it really didn't allow us to cram more in it. We just keep plugging more into it. Life is busy. I get it. I understand it. Everything is competing for a slice of our time. Everything. Work. Family, sports, entertainment, vacation, leisure time. Some of you say, what in the world's that? We spend the majority of our time pursuing these things. And it, all it does is gives us busyness of life. And in the busyness of life, when we think about what we're pursuing, do we have time are we making time to pursue God in all of our pursuits are we pursuing God are we become so busy that we have no place to fit him in no place no time for him are we so busy living life that we have no time for God in our life the church is church attendance is prayer time Is Bible study and reading the Word of God. Is serving God. Something that you find that you struggle with. Finding time for. Are these things that you make time for? Are they things that we just try to fit in? Are we so busy with all the peripherals and all the things that the world tells us that we must have in our lives that we really don't have time for God? I really don't have time to read my Bible. I really don't have time for prayer. I really don't have time for church. I've just got too much work going on. You see, whosoever will come after me, it's a decision that's made. It's a direction, a determined direction. Joshua said, listen, I don't know what you guys are doing, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve God. We're going to put God first. We're going to make Him the the focus and the center of everything we do. In this text, we see a delivered invitation, a determined direction. But notice thirdly and quickly, I want you to see a deliberate Deliberate renunciation. Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. A deliberate renunciation. Let him deny himself and take up his cross. Now wait a minute preacher. 
It's a little too much here. This is certainly Jesus is not talking to people of 2021. He knows we're busy. He knows we got all these things on our plate. Certainly he's not talking to us about these things. I think this point, this point of deliberate renunciation, this point is the crux of the matter in the message of Jesus Christ. The reason so many have rejected the invitation to be saved. The reason that so many have chosen another pursuit other than Jesus Christ. I believe is for this matter right here. Take up your cross and follow me. I believe it's because we're not willing to follow all the words of Christ out of verse number 34. You see, we like the blessings. We like God's favor upon us. We expect God to fix this situation. We expect God, when we pray, to to be on spot and to be right there on demand. But Jesus comes back and in his message he says to us, let him deny himself and take up his cross. We live in a world that says, express yourself. Be yourself. Make your voice heard. Demand your rights. Make a name. Live the limits. Uh, Make a path for yourself. We've often noted, and it's been said, we live in a selfie generation. Selfie generation. Everybody likes to take pictures of themselves. I think it's quite comical. I see some of, not you ladies, but I've seen some ladies and I've seen some men. Sitting in the car, no one else is there but them. And they're looking in the mirror, they're licking their fingers and fixing their hair, and then they take a picture of themselves. I'm thinking, where's that going? Just caught up with themselves. A selfie generation. The idea is to get noticed on Facebook. To get a following. To get more likes. To go viral. What's that? A combination of terms there, isn't it? To go viral in the midst of a pandemic. That's what people are looking to do. Get noticed. Jesus says, on the other side, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. In today's society, that's what all this transgender foolishness, sinfulness is all about. It's what homosexuality is all about. It's all about me. It's all about what I want. It's all about what satisfies me. And there are even people today that claim to know Jesus Christ and still caught up in those lifestyles and caught up in that kind of sin. You see, they would think that Jesus, all He cares about is what makes me happy. What's for me? But Jesus says out of His message, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Modern, modern religion, we heard it in Sunday school this morning, the come as you are, stay as you are crowd. Modern religion teaches that Jesus doesn't expect anything from you. To be a follower of Jesus is nothing more than saying, I believe in some details and some facts about the Bible. Yes, I said a prayer once. I attended some church services on an occasional basis. I give occasionally. I'm a good person. I've been baptized. Many will 
say, I live in the South, and I'm just a good old boy. I only live in the South. I live in conservative, good old volunteer state, go orange, Tennessee. I'm a good old boy. I, I, I was born into this. And because I don't subscribe to the Muslim idea, I don't subscribe to the Hindu idea, I don't subscribe to some Eastern mystical religion. My grandfather, as a matter of fact, my grandmother took me to a Baptist church when I was a a little fella. Certainly, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. That's where I've always been. That's my identity. I'm a follower of Jesus. Many have devised another plan. They devised a plan on how to follow the Jesus. Come up with another idea and another pathway to take in following Jesus. I'll just simply work harder at doing better. I'll curb or maybe even stop some old bad habits along the way. Let me come up with my own plan. I'll attend church on Christmas and Easter or whenever I can work it into a schedule. I'll even speak up for what's morally right and speak against what's morally wrong. I'll be like, oh, Cain. You remember Cain in Genesis? I'll be like Cain. I'll give God this beautiful, beautiful basket of fruit that I grew, that I worked in my garden, and that I propagated, that I brought forth, that I planted the seed. It is gorgeous. It is delicious. I'll give God this huge basket of fruit and he will be so happy with me. God will be so happy to get that fruit basket. He'll just love it and he'll say, well done thou good and faithful servant. Jesus will be happy with me. This will be my plan. And by the way, God had communicated what he wanted to Cain and Abel both. But only one brought it. The way God says it ought to be brought. But we come to God with our own plan. God, I think I'll do it this way. This is what I believe is best. And I know, I can only imagine that Jesus, that when we do this kind of thing, when we come to Jesus with our plan to serve Him and to be a disciple and to live for Him, we come to our own plans to follow God and say, here you go, God. Here's my idea of following you. I know it'll make you happy. Here you go. And I believe God maybe says to us like he says to Peter. Get thee behind me, Satan. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. I wonder if God's sickened with our plans. I wonder if God's sickened with our Come as you are and stay as you are, modern religion. God seems to make things so clear. We complicate what God makes so clear. Uh, Luke 14 and 27. Whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot, cannot, he says, be my disciple. God makes things so clear. Many, as I mentioned earlier, desire God's blessings in our life. And at the same time, we despise. We despise and we despair of His demands upon our life. God, I'll serve you this way. 
This is my plan. And God says out of this message, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now understand, what does this mean? What in the world does this mean? Jesus, understand, is not calling us to live a life of asceticism. He's not requiring us to join some monastery on top of some far mountain so far away where we eat nothing but bland food. We sit in a dark room with our legs crossed and meditating and humming. Uh, He's not requiring us to wear drab clothing with hoods over our heads all the time and, and, and where there's no contact with the outside world. And by the way, that's not following Jesus either. Jesus said, go into the world and make disciples. He said, you're going to be salt and light in a lost world. You see, following Christ, when he says, take up your cross and follow me, it literally means making him first place in your life. Not second place. First place. Everything revolves around Jesus Christ. Everything revolves around my life for him. And by the way, does Jesus, has, does he have a legitimate claim upon our lives? Does he have a legitimate claim? Today people say, well, it's my body. I'll do as I choose. It's my time. It's my money. It's my this or my that. No, it's everything God's. You're born again. I remind you, we've all been bought with the price. Therefore, glorify God in our bodies, which is Jesus Christ. The breath that we just inhaled and exhaled, that's a gift from God. The life and the ability to get up out of the bed each and every day, I remind us, is a gift from God. We belong to the Lord. Our life is a gift from Him to us. Does He have a legitimate claim? Yes, He does. He went to the cross and He died. To save us. He gave heaven's best. Everything. The best of heaven in Jesus Christ. God gave heaven's best. While we were at our worst. He gave it so that we could spend eternity. In a place called heaven. Deny yourself is following after him. And when he says this to us. We understand that. If you're truly born again. Again you're not your own. But it's saying, when we take up our cross and follow after him, what we're saying is this. God says, if you're going to follow me, uh, this is what I'm asking you to do. I want you to say no to every known sin. Every known sin. Say no to sin in our lives. Say no to rejecting God and his will for our lives. Not only no to every sin, but yes to the will of God. You know, our problem is not that we don't have enough Bible. We've not been taught well. Our problem is we're just simply not obeying what we do know. We don't need new information. We just need to step forward in the information, the truth of God's Word that we've already been taught. Say no to every known sin. If you're living in sin this morning, then you're not a disciple of Jesus Christ. Say, preacher, those are strong words. Take it up with the Lord. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. 
You cannot be a disciple if there's known sin this morning in your life. You say, preacher, am I born again? I don't know. I can't see your heart. That's between you and God. But if Jesus says, if you're going to follow after me, there's an invitation given. There's a direction that's taken. And if we're living in outright rebellious known sin, then i got to be concerned about where I stand with God. Say no to every known sin. It's a denouncing of self-righteousness and of pride. I'm good. I'm good. We're all just good people. That's the mantra of the day. That's when you come to that conclusion, you can defund the police department. You can just do away with all authority. We don't need them anymore. Why? Because society is basically good. We're all just good people. It'll all work itself out in the end. Denounce self-righteousness. The best we have is filthy rags in the sight of God. We come short of the glory of God. It's putting God and serving God first place in your life. It's giving God your time. It's giving God our treasures. It's surrendering our will and our lives to serve the Lord. It's pursuing a direction of godly living, godly activities, godly thinking. Many, many today after hearing a message like this, and maybe you're thinking this, this is a bit radical. It's a bit fanatical. It's over-the-top Christianity. Amen. That's what Jesus is calling us to. And again, I remind you, this not just for his disciples. He called all the people to him. He just didn't get these few people off to the side. He called everybody to him. And he says, follow me this way. Jesus says, this is not radical, fanatical type Christianity. This is foundational Christianity. This is basics 101. This is where it starts. This is where it begins. Notice as he goes on to say. Let's read the the rest of the message. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his soul? Here Jesus is talking about salvation. The soul. The lost soul. There are people that are pursuing the world and and in gaining the world. What can a man give in exchange for his soul? For what shall a profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words. Where? When? How? In this adulterous and sinful generation. In our day. In the day in which we are living. I'm ashamed of Christ. I can't go that fanatical. I can't go that radical. I can't live that kind of life. What will people say? What will people think? My family will think I've joined a cult. And I've heard people say that. Simply because people simply wanted to obey God in their life. Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and and my words. Please get that phrase. And my words. 
It goes back to the message of what Jesus is saying. Be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. Of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. You see, one day we're all going to have to stand and give an account to the Lord. And every one of us would desire to hear the Lord say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And some of us are working our fingers to the bones and we're, we're busy doing this and we're busy doing that. But if we surrendered our lives completely and wholly to the words of Jesus Christ, I don't want Him to be ashamed of me. And I dare say none of us desire that. Oh, I don't want God to be ashamed of me. So how do we make sure that doesn't happen? We follow Christ fully, completely, wholly. With all of our lives. Though none go with me, I will go. I'll still follow. Are you following Christ today? The cost of discipleship. Let's take it to heart. Let's make changes where it needs to be changed. If you're here this morning, you know Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior. Maybe you were thinking that maybe somewhere down the law, down the way, that there was a time when you said a prayer, you did something religious. But you look at your life, there's really been no life change, no heart desire for the things of God. Then I encourage you this morning, the invitation is open to you. Come and be saved. Some need to surrender. Come and surrender. Let's bow our hearts and pray.